The practice of being seen is about understanding who you really are and daring to share your truth with the world. This is a conversation with and for seekers, creators, and holders of transformation. We believe that stories shape relationships and relationships shape stories. This is Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist and founder of Connectfulness. And this is Marisa Gowdy, writer and storytelling coach for healers. And this is the practice of being seen. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. Today, we are thrilled to welcome Manila Chan to our show. Manila is a marriage and family therapist who grounds her work in curiosity, education, empathy, compassion, and artistry. She has developed a comprehensive practice in Wayne, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia, that supports individuals, couples, and families who suffer from depression, anxiety, trauma, and ADHD. Manila helps people move forward and move toward the life they want to live. And all of her work is guided by the idea that, as she says, we are in this together and you are just as worthy of care as anyone else. Welcome, Manila. Hi, Rebecca and Marisa. It's so nice to be here with you. Well, it's really great to be here with you as well. You know, before we got started today, we were chatting a little bit about a recent TED Talk that you've given called Measuring and Valuing Emotional Ecosystems. Mm-hmm. And just the title alone <laughs> totally intrigues me and like gives me these little bone chills up and down my spine. So I was wondering if maybe that's a really awesome place just for us to root in and start. Okay. Can I ask you, how would you sum up what that's all about? Well, um, it's probably helpful to give you a little bit of context in terms of that TED Talk. So that TED Talk was held by Johnson & Johnson in Asbury Park. So part one of the things that I do is I'm a part-time EAP consultant at Johnson & Johnson. So I'm actually on site. So I just don't do therapy. I also do consulting around team building, uh, culture, relationships, communication, work-life balance, all that stuff, you know, all the quote-unquote soft skills that organizations are invested in. So the context that I kind of work in is with a lot of scientists who use a lot of quantitative data, right, for research, for creating pharmaceuticals, you know, doing the testing and the clinical testing and all that kind of stuff. So, but I work with a lot of things that can't be quantitatively measured, right? So it's all qualitative stuff. It's kind, you know, it's guesses, it's estimates, it's probabilities, possibilities. So one of the things that organizations don't tend to measure because it's difficult to measure, you can't quantitatively measure it, is all that soft skills, relationships, you know, how are, how are people getting along? What's the communication like? What's their stress levels? But it's the bedrock of how an organization functions. So I found it really interesting to kind of look at and talk about, well, this thing is really important. Relationships are really, really important, but organizations don't measure it. And just because it's difficult to measure, to me, doesn't feel like a good enough reason not to. So I was talking in my TED Talk about, you know, the difference between quantitative and qualitative metrics, but also how the qualitative stuff really measures the stuff that's the most important to us, right? Like employee engagement, love, hope, happiness, productivity, all of those types of things. 
So that's what the talk was about was how do you measure it, you know, the best that you can from a quantitative or qualitative perspective, why it's important to do that. So that's kind of the background of the talk. Can you tell us why it's important to do that? Well, because it is. <laughs> Because that's, you know, wherever you have one or more people working on something together, the relationship always becomes important, right? How you talk to one another, how you treat one another. You can't move forward as an organization or even as a group or as humanity, right? In in terms of progressing through technology and, and learning and being together and moving through the world together unless you're talking to each other and taking care of each other and it's the bedrock of pretty much pretty much everything pretty much everything marisa and i have certainly found that to be true with this podcast project absolutely and so (laughs) as you put that forth you know and saying that to move forward as humanity we need to take care of each other right does that feel like news for certain people (laughs) you work with like are they kind of looking at you being like Wait, wait, what? Because I think, you know, you're preaching to a choir here with the three of us. But right. how is that right. message received by people who are in that super duper quantitative world? Right. I think a lot of organizations are in super duper quantitative worlds. I mean, you know, in the therapeutic world, it's easy for us to talk about relationships and stuff because that's where we live and work. Right. And that's where we breathe and think and, and all of that. But when it comes to organizations, you're looking at, you know, things like the bottom line and, and profitability and a lot of the numbers and you tend the deliverables are so clear in terms of what you're supposed to achieve in terms of numbers that there's very little time to think about all the relational stuff. So one of the pieces of data that I provided in my TED talk was the fact that in a lot of these diary studies that that are done, where they actually study the different things that create the, the greatest amount of stress for people in organizations, consistently what comes out is negative interactions with colleagues were the most stressful things. So it's not work-life balance. It's not, you know, the speed at which organizations move or workload or tight deadlines or anything. And there was an audible sound of shock in the room when I said, yeah, it's not all that. You think it's all that, but it's not. What the research is actually showing is that when we have negative interactions with people, that's the thing that creates the greatest amount of stress because if that's not happening, you know, and the relationships are healthy and trustworthy and authentic, transparent, all of those things focused on problem solving as opposed to blame, everything else can be worked out. So when I said that there was this audible, ah, you know, and the sound of incredulous, um, realization in the room. And it's something now that people are talking a lot about more is since you know, since your talk within that yeah environment. Mm-hmm. yeah I've I've gotten a lot of emails and voicemail messages and all of that and you know people saying to me oh my gosh you know you're right but I hadn't really put it together you know how sometimes things are just so obvious but they're not clear until somebody points it out can we Go there for a minute. Can we talk sure. about that role? Like you, you took on this role of giving voice to this, this not spoken about. You gave voice 
to the thing mm-hmm. that nobody talks about. And right. you brought it into the focus and you helped everybody who was listening hear that it was one of the things that they were struggling with more than anything else. Mm-hmm. What has that done since? How has that reshaped you taking that role? You know, I'm, I'm just having so many thoughts with, with all of that, you know, just that whole idea of speaking things that you normally don't speak and, um, speaking things that aren't kind of supported by the dominant culture. Right. Um, because the dominant culture in a corporate organization is, you know, a corporate situation is, um, often, oh, you just kind of take care of, you know, the emotional stuff. Um, and it kind of gets pushed aside. Um, and I've been working corporate for a number of years and people don't want to hear about the soft stuff and the emotional stuff and, and they don't want to go there. So first of all, speaking that truth about how important relationships are and how we get along with other people is, you know, integral to how we do our work. That was really hard. Like it was really, it was really difficult because I've always been kind of faced with, Oh, but that's not important. Let's just talk about bottom line numbers. Right. Um, and kind of being pushed aside. So, yeah. And I'm not used to being on stage and, um, I'm more of a behind the scenes and supporting people from behind and, you know, listening to their stories instead of telling your own. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm better at listening to other people's stories than telling my own. Um, yeah, there's a vulnerability, you know, there's a vulnerability to that. Um, so putting yourself out there and speaking those truths. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, especially when you know that you're doing it within a context that uh, doesn't support or doesn't value what it is that you're you're saying or potentially saying. And and that you are as you speak those truths, you also are kind of like opening up Pandora's box. You're you're potentially the pivotal point that can shift a culture. Mm-hmm. No pressure. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> so yeah, there, yeah, there's a lot of pressure there. <laughs> yeah. And, and you had some support. Like let's, let's go back a little bit before you actually got on stage and gave this talk. You had mm-hmm. some support leaning into that moment. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, there was a retreat, a two day retreat that all speakers went to. So we talked about stage presence and voice modulation and voice cadence and, you know, speaking your punctuation and pausing and movement of your body, you know, as a way of communicating, um, key points. And then we also had speaker coaches that we talked to, at least once a week um, for about a month leading up to it. And, and was that this was all sponsored all... by TED. This was their group. Uh, came in to support no, you? this is, this is a corporate sponsored TEDx event. Right? So it was sponsored by so, Johnson and Johnson. Yeah. So it was sponsored by Johnson and Johnson and Johnson and Johnson just threw a whole lot of resources towards 
this event and they gave us all kinds of resources to prepare us so that we could be the best that we could be on the stage. It was, it was really impressive. It was really, really impressive. So in some ways the organization was behind you supporting. Yes. Supporting your voice. And yet it was also, also what you were scared of voicing. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. There was one. one, (laughs) I mean, one of the other people that I had supporting me is a speaker angel, right? So, so speaker coach helped with the speeches and, you know, the writing and making sure the points landed, you know, with the, with the weight that it needed to. And then my speaker angel was the person that I used to call or email and say, Oh my gosh, I want to throw up. Are you going to be in the back holding a barf bag for me? Because I, I like, maybe I'm not sure I can do this. Right. So yeah, there was a lot of that pressure, the vulnerability, the, it was, it was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. So help us understand (laughs) a little more of how this ecosystem worked. Were other people stepping up to talk about soft skills or were you the soft skills lady in the midst of people talking about a lot of quantitative stuff? Well, it was interesting because um, a lot of the talks were a lot of soft skills. So, for example, there was somebody who did a talk on vulnerability, another person who did a talk on um, vulnerability in leadership. Someone else talked about um, the risk of uh dabbling and experimenting with things to find new innovative ideas. My talk happened to be the most technical and a little bit different um, in that way. So it was interesting because the, the learning and development team, they're very interested in all of these things like creativity and, um, you know, who you are as a leader and as a person and developing and growing, not just in your career, but um, as an individual. So this was kind of a uh, platform for all of that. Um, and it was, you know, and it was a special day. It was, you know, a one day event, but on a day to day basis, when you're sitting at your desk, doing your work, you know, needing to meet your deadlines and all of that, those kinds of things don't get thought about very often. Right. You know, this is bringing me back a little bit to many years ago when I was like a very young adult, I did a leadership course without rebound, a three month leadership course. And the entire focus of that program was on soft skills, was on relationship and team building and how we all worked together and how, mm-hmm. you know, whoever's the slowest person is, you know, that's the person who's setting the pace for the entire group. And how do we help, you know, if, if we want to move faster as a group, how do we help the person who needs the most help so that we can move faster as a group? And this is bringing me back a little bit as we're talking, I'm thinking a little bit, I'm finding myself like retreating in my mind to these places of my own experience where, you know, I, I was out in the back country with nine others and we had to really work together and just like what that experience was really like and, mm-hmm. and how we functioned, how we were our own ecosystem, you know, and I'm thinking about that and kind of applying it a little bit to the more corporate environment in my, in my mind. I'm, I'm guessing mm-hmm. that's where a little bit where you're going with this conversation? 
Yeah, yeah. When I say ecosystem, I'm thinking, you know, from a uh, systems theory perspective, right, where everybody impacts everybody else. And one change in the system creates a rippling effect out into the rest of the system impacting it, right? So you've got your fast movers in an organization that impacts the rest of the group. You've got your slow movers. And then you've also got those people who don't want to move at all, (laughs) right? Um, And then you've got people... Right, you know the struggle with change, and then like people don't understand that teams, organizations are systems within themselves, right? And leadership impacts um, their direct reports. Direct reports impacts leadership. The environment in which the organization functions impacts the organization itself, right? In terms of laws and new restrictions and all of that kind of stuff. So when you talk about ecosystems, emotional ecosystems, if you look at the research that's coming out now in terms of mirror neurons and emotionally impacting each other, um, my question was, what are you contributing to your teams and to the organization from an emotional perspective? Are you creating a place that is psychologically safe for people to come with these amazing, innovative ideas and maybe even disruptive ideas or are you creating an emotional space that keeps those ideas in the shadows right and prevents them from from coming forward so what are you contributing emotionally to your teams to the organization so that everybody can bring their best and bring their whole selves to the work that they do and sometimes the best and the wholeness And that integration comes from a place of even being a little disruptive if people can feel safe enough to bring that. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing in this too is that you're helping people understand they have a whole perhaps new level of responsibility in their jobs they might not have recognized before. Yeah. Yeah. In their jobs Uh, or on their teams. Well, um, in, in, I mean, in, when, when they show up to work every day, they may not be considering the fact that I have an emotional responsibility to my team in terms of how I show up and how that affects people. If I come in pissed off at the traffic in the morning, how <laughs> might that ripple out? I mean, I don't know that that's something right. that's an immediate concern because you're thinking, hey, I did my job today. What do you want from me? It's very different than saying, I'm here. How can I help? This is how I've chosen to serve today. Right. Right. It's a very it's a very different paradigm because one of the things that I've noticed in the corporate world and and it's getting a little bit better is that there's this assumption that you leave all your stuff at the door. Right. You don't talk about home. You don't talk about your private life. You don't talk about what you what you believe, what you value, who you are. And so there are pieces. So I kind of imagine this person coming to work and they walk through the door, but there are pieces of them that are kind of left outside the door. Right. So, and it's interesting because if you look at creativity and innovation, we can't really be creative and innovative unless we bring all of our experiences and all of who we are into work. And I'm not talking about, you know, coming into work and sitting in meetings and singing Kumbaya together and holding hands and all of that, (laughs) but there, you know, because, because we don't need to do that to be present for one another and to create spaces where people can, you know, do appropriately risky things at work and, and, you know, kind of throw out these crazy ideas. So it's, 
it's a little bit of a shift, but there still seems to be like a lot of this idea that, you know, there's your work self mm. and then there's your other self, which you leave at home, which creates a little bit of dissonance. Um, but I think there is a place to kind of bracket difficult experiences that could be getting in the way of us doing what we need to do. My question has always been, can we be connected enough so that we can all move forward together as opposed to, you know, and it's a question of boundaries, right? Can we have, can we be connected enough? And then one extreme is not being connected at all and not honoring our humanness and our experiences. And then the other extreme is kind of being enmeshed and, you know, being kind of subsumed in each other in such a way that we don't function at all. So is there a way of kind of recognizing who we are as human beings and that it's important that we get along and caring for one another, but also moving together as a team and an organization? So somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah. That balance. That balance is huge. Mm -hmm. So how did you how did you get into this? How did you start? I mean, this sounds like a little bit of organizational psychology in a way. You're you're definitely getting in from the EAP angle, but how, how did this become your thing? <laughs> well, um, let's see. I was I was called to therapy when I was about 17, 18 years old. So I was in high school at the time, but I never pursued it. I pursued psychology, um, but I never thought, you know what? being a therapist, that seems so important and so heavy. And, you know, like you've got to be this amazing person to be able to change other people's lives and, and help them to learn to be happy. And, and honestly, at 17, 18, I didn't feel worthy of that. So I kind of ran from it for a number of years. So I did an undergrad degree in psychology, but I ended up in the corporate world. Frustratingly so. Um, never really finding my place and went from one thing to another. I never stayed like in any organization longer than a year because I would get really bored. Um, so I've done all kinds of things and I did that for about 10, 15 years before I became a therapist. Um, then I became a therapist and said, nope, don't want to have anything to do with the corporate world because it's awful, it's, it's dysfunctional, you know, people are mean and I don't like it. Um, and it's then boring, <laughs> there's no room for creativity. <laughs> I see where you're going, okay. <laughs> because it's, it's a very clear box, right? Like you're, mm. you're expected to perform in a particular way. Um, and I was just always asking why, and the worst answer that anybody could ever give me was because it's always been done that way. And I'm like, but why? Right. So I, I felt like I kept bumping up against a wall when I was working for other people. So went into therapy, um, started doing my own thing. And then I was like, well, hold on a second. People are people regardless of where they are. And one of the things that started happening in my private practice was the people that were coming in to want to talk about these things, they wanted to talk about work too and how work was impacting their life and how they felt at work and how they their relationships with managers and their leaders and direct reports. And so all of a sudden I was having these other conversations and because I had worked for a number of years before in in a whole bunch of different industries, I was able to speak to 
my client's work life in a way that they hadn't experienced before. Right. Um, because, you know, the dynamics are different. The power dynamics are different at work. The things that therapists normally tell people to do in relationships, in their private lives, you can't do those things at work. You have to do it in a different way. Right. So I was able to speak to that. And then my clientele just kind of grew to being entrepreneurs and executives and like really high level types of people because I understood both their emotional piece, but also had this other work life experience piece. So then I kind of started. Wait, hold on a second. Uh, These things kind of work together. People are people, regardless of whether they're at home or whether they're at work, how can we help people, you know, and, and that's what I started asking myself was how can I help people be the best that they can be in their lives as opposed to at work or at home in their private life? You know, how can they kind of carry themselves authentically and be who they are regardless of the context and the situation that they're in? So that's kind of how I, how I got to where. I am. Do you have any answers in regards, like a universal truth about how to help people be their, their best self? I think it's a, it's that whole authenticity piece, right? And really um, looking at it from the inside out. Who do I want to be in the world? Who do I want to be with people? Um, and being consistent across, you know, across contexts. Because it's all the same stuff. Relationships are relationships, regardless of where you have them. Right. You know, as you were talking a little while ago about um, kind of like asking the question why, one of the things I heard coming forth from you was this kind of like seeking or this um, making room for disruption, like to give yeah. that to give that space that that just going along with because it's always been that way isn't necessarily mm-hmm. like, it, it doesn't feel so healthy. It doesn't feel so safe. Um, and I wanted to come back to that idea of disruption and just what, what that holds, what, um, what wisdom we can, we can glean from that. Right. Um, do you want to be a little bit more specific about what you're asking? <laughs> I can try. <laughs> um, let's see. <laughs> well, so, Manuel, what what does disruption mean to you? Where does disruption fit within healthy relationships? Well, um, I think Einstein's quote, you know, uh, comes to mind. And this is something that's on my business cards and I say all the time, right? You do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. That's called insanity. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, it's always about, well, then if it's not working, do something different. You know, I kind of see life as an experiment and um, figuring out and tweaking what works for you um, on an ongoing basis. Right. Um, So disruption for me isn't isn't necessarily about, okay doing things differently for the sake of doing things differently but doing things differently so that it works in a way that you can live consistently with who you want to be in the world. Um, And sometimes disruption isn't, isn't about doing something more complex. Sometimes it can be finding a beautifully elegant and simple solution 
and not making things as complex as you think they are, right? Um, so sometimes disruption can be about just cutting out all the fat and the gristle and, you know, kind of getting down to what's most important to you and simplifying. It's, it's really kind of going back to what's your truth. Yeah. And helping you, like, this brings us back to the top of our conversation around around finding that voice about speaking the things that maybe normally don't get spoken because they don't, they go against the dominant culture, but how, how speaking that truth can really help to improve relationships. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it just kind of boils down to, you know, getting rid of the stuff that really doesn't matter. Like why, why are you doing some of the things that you're doing? Do you really have to do them? And is it in alignment with, your values and what you say you value and what nourishes and feeds your soul, right? I think sometimes we make our lives and our relationships a, a lot more complicated than, than they need to be. Uh, in agreement. And that's so often part of that, you know, we were just ta- talking before about that pursuit of creativity and that desire to go out on your own, to mm-hmm. have your own work. I mean, I, I've certainly been on that journey in and out of that myself. And it's that, I find so much of life is kind of like, you know, like so many things. It's like all the expansions and contractions, right? So it's that expansion mm-hmm. into complexity and these are all the possibilities. And then it's that contraction into some clarity that says, oh, this way, not those 47 other possibilities. And then mm-hmm. moving forward. Right, right. So like on a personal level, to give you an example of like a, a disruptive idea in my life um, was was to decide not to have a television, right? I don't have television. I don't have cable. It's just something that I just don't have a lot of time for, right? Mm -hmm. And I decided that because I realized, you know what? This whole work-life balance thing, like, it, it doesn't make any sense to me, right? And I was thinking, what if, what if I balance you know, unbalanced my life in the direction of those things that feed me and nourish me? Right. So instead of thinking about work life balance and trying to figure out how do I fit work with life and, you know, uh, are they in balance? Are they working well? Are they synergistic? Why don't we jump, just dump that whole idea? And I thought, okay, forget that. Let's just talk about how do I unbalance my life in the direction of those things that make me feel bigger, that create expansion, that create more space for the things that really feed me. Yeah. So to to me that. So you filtered out the distractions. Yeah. So to me that was really disruptive because it took out that whole question of work life, but created something totally different. And now I make decisions, you know, differently in terms of what I fill my mind with, what I fill my time with, the relationships that I have, how I choose to use my time, um, the things I watch, the things, you know, music I listen to. Um, So it's disruptive in the sense that it's changed my whole life. But at the same time, it's disruptive because it's so simplified. It's so condensed into what's most important to me. You know, what, what you're evoking for me right now is a conversation that we had um, a while back with Kim John Payne, the author of Simplicity Parenting. Right. And 
one of the things that, that I recall him talking about is that when things get um, uncomfortable enough in our lives, that's where we find the impetus to make a change. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and so this, this idea of, of um, looking for the ways that you could, you could really live into what feeds and nurtures you mm-hmm. helps you also look at what doesn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in my mind throughout my day, I kind of check in every once in a while and kind of ask myself, okay, what's happening here? Am I shrinking or am I expanding, you know? Um, and what do I remove so that it creates more space for me to expand? Um, so I really pay attention, like, especially in meetings that I'm in, you know, what's silencing me, what's going on in me that I'm not sharing my ideas. And, you know, to me, that's shrinking. Right. Um, and, you know, really kind of examining my life for, okay, get, get rid of those things, like, and really just getting, just get rid of those things and, you know, fill up the space as much as, as much as you can and be seen and be heard in ways that are appropriate. Now that's a radical idea though, because it is, it is quite the radical, like, you know, disruptive movement to say, I'm not going to shrink right now, especially for a woman. Yeah. Yeah. I totally hear that. And it's an ongoing project. It's yes. not easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not easy and it's not perfect. Um, Cause sometimes I, I leave a meeting and I'm like, darn, why didn't I say that? That was really important. Um, you know, and then the moment's gone. Right. right? Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's very hard. Yeah. You know, what I'm leaning into is this idea of kind of consciously imbalancing your life in order to accentuate that which nurtures that which is positive, that it's a very interesting paradox to also be talking about ecosystems, which we know are so much based on that delicate balance of a little bit of this and a little bit of that, of all these different beings working together. And Mm -hmm. I think so often the greatest wisdom comes through when we're kind of holding those both and, and standing in the middle and saying, I value my own carefully cultivated imbalance in order Mm -hmm. to contribute to the greatest level of balance in my organization, in my family and whatever group that I'm part of. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. There's, I like that idea of the both, the both and right. Um, and I really question dichotomies. I really question, well, why does it have to be that way or this way? Why can't it be both? It's a little bit more effort to kind of learn to lean into that, but it's not completely impossible. I, I find myself being much more comfortable in the both end place as mm-hmm. well. But I also find it a challenge to remember sometimes to look for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so how do you manage that? I mean, like where, how do you recognize that you're kind of, you know, giving into dichotomies and how do you pull yourself out of it? I I look for discomfort. Like Mm -hmm. I let that be my teacher. The, the places where I start to feel uneasy, where I start to feel more shut down, where I start to um, limit myself more and stop using my voice, um, mm-hmm. 
the places where that, that hair on the back of my neck gets all prickly. Oh yeah. I know that feeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, or my face feels really (laughs) flushed. Like my palms Mm -hmm. get sweaty. Um, Mm -hmm. my mouth gets gets really dry. My stomach starts flipping over. (laughs) Um, my head starts really hurting. Like those, when I let myself slow down and ease into those moments, they're really good clues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. something something needs to be looked at, that there's there's another story. Right, right. And I find that in those moments when I pull myself out of that place and really just kind of settle into the discomfort and feel, okay, this is this is what's going on here. And what what do I need to see or what do I need to feel or say to kind of release that? Right. Um, I find that when I lean into it, I come up with my best ideas yes. and my best words and, um, That's where you know, creativity the, the best questions, the best questions. Um, yeah. yeah. So I've been in situations where I've used that discomfort and asked a really great question out of it that has changed a whole meeting. I wonder right. if in some ways discomfort is like the birthplace of creativity. Um, well, Brene Brown talks about how, you know, vulnerability is the birthplace of creativity and innovation. Um, and I think she kind of, she kind of has that quote, right. I don't think it's vulnerability in itself. I think it's what you do without vulnerability, because when you have a moment of vulnerability, you have a choice, right? You either shrink and disappear and become silent or you can use that vulnerability and stand up to it and say, no, I know what my why is. I know what my purpose is. I know what my mission in my life and in my work is. And I'm going to stand with that as opposed to the fear. Uh, so what? I think I think bravery is the birthplace of innovation and creativity. Courage is the birthplace of innovation and creativity. Oh. Uh. I'm thinking that is the most beautiful place for us to land. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Bravery and courage are the birthplace for creativity. Yeah. Yeah. We can honor that. And I think each and every one of us can find a space within ourselves to honor that. Thank you, Manila. We honor you for having been here with us today. This was Thank you so much. Where can our listeners find you? Well, you can find me at uh, on my website, manilachandlmft.com. So that's M-I-N-E-E-L-A-C-H-A-N-D-L-M-F-T dot com. Um, and we'll include so, that in our show notes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, my business number is also my cell phone number. So I am always open to questions and, you know, throwing around ideas and stuff. So feel free to give me a call or shoot me an email or a text. And yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for being with us today. I, I know that I had many moments during our conversation of just feeling a deep resonance with, with all that you're sharing with us. So thanks, Rebecca. Thank you for having me and inviting me. I really appreciate that. I so enjoyed talking with Manila Chan today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation too. You know, one of the things that really struck me 
was when she was talking about how whenever you have one or more people working together, the relationship always becomes important. Of course, that's something that resonated deeply with me, and I'd love to hear what's been resonating with you as you've been following the journey and listening to the Practice of Being Seen podcast. We've just created a public Facebook group for the Practice of Being Seen, and we'd love to have you join us there. It's called Practice of Being Seen Community. You can also find it at facebook.com slash groups slash pobscast. That's P-O-B-S-C-A-S-T. We'd love to have you join us there and uh, share with us what you want to hear more of and what you've been enjoying. Those of you who have been following along may also know that we have the Revision Retreat coming up this August 13th to 16th for therapist healers at Menla Mountain. And you can find out more about that at practiceofbeingseen.com slash events. We'd love to have you join us there too. There's just a few spots left. And we'd love to have you share, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It really helps us spread the word and share our message with more people. Music written and performed by Christopher Ferris and produced at Kidneystone Studio. And that's it for today's show. Join us next week for another episode of the Practice of Being Seen podcast.